0: at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. All right, well, if you could please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, I just, just have to say that, um, you know, we're all on a journey ourselves. Uh, God has grown each one of us. Uh, whether you have attended this church for the first time here this morning, or whether you've been a Christian longer than I've been alive, we're all growing. And uh, we are all, Lord willing, moving forward in our. We're not taking back over. We yes. just need to dismiss the children, ah. in fourth grade and below down to Children's Church, right, right down this hall. <laughs> all right, children, if you're going along, uh, follow down this hall, and the t- uh, teachers are down there, right. and uh, we'll lead you down. All right, perfect. Good. And you know, in our journey of uh, faith, in our journey of growth, um, as we talked about this morning in Sunday school, oftentimes we find ourselves coming face to face with the fact that it wasn't happening. It isn't happening. Here's an area where I need to grow, you need to grow. Sometimes God points out our failures. Sometimes the failures, frankly, aren't that big of a deal. Sometimes failures are massive. Um, but if you weren't in Sunday school, I, I just want to challenge you to adjust your perspective. Don't view your failures as a reason to run from God. View your failures, your weaknesses, and your shortcomings as a reason why you need to come to God. You see, God, as I mentioned, has made his job description for us to need us in our shortcomings and to supply our lack that's why he sends trials into our lives that's why he points out the insufficiencies is because he not only wants us to grow i think sometimes we can think he's saying oh get with the program bud but no he himself is our supply and he himself has committed himself to meet us And to supply our need. And so that being said, um, this morning, obviously, the way I've been phrasing it is very general, right? Our lack, our need, our shortcomings. But really, in my heart and in my mind, I have one specific shortcoming that I want to focus on here today. And this shortcoming is, I believe, going to be something that God's going to speak to every last one of us about. And this shortcoming, I have found, is the most important matter in our ministries, in our homes. In fact, as we're going to see here shortly, we can get everything else right in Christianity. We can get everything else right in our churches. But if we are wrong on the one point that I want to focus on here this morning and really this week, we've got it all wrong. You know, here, um, I, uh, I live in a trailer most of the time. Okay. Uh, many of you have seen the RV that I had out on that side of the building, or that side of the building, uh, last time we were here. And last summer, um, I and my family, uh, we had just gotten back from a very long trek, and uh, we were settling down into our normal fall routine that we have. Um, and uh, I remember it was a Sunday afternoon, and we did what every good Baptist does on Sunday afternoon. Uh, we were getting ready for a nap, right? And uh, kind of our family culture, we put the littles down. They're required to sleep. Our middles, or our olders, the two older ones, they're allowed to stay up and maybe read. But whatever they do, it's got to be quiet, right? Because mom and dad want a nap, okay? And so Abby and I, we were up in our bedroom, in our trailer. The olders were in the living room. The littles were down for a nap in our bunkhouse on the other end of the trailer. And my little girl, Eva, she's nine now, she yelled, Mom, I smell something! Now, when you have an 11 year old boy, that could mean a variety of things, <clears throat> okay? <laughs> but we said, What do you smell? She said, It smells like something's burning. And we thought, Uh oh. I jumped up and went down, and I wasn't even halfway down the hallway down to our main living area, and I smelled it too. It was an electrical burning smell. And when you live in an RV, that is not a good deal. And I remember immediately, um, I didn't know what it was. I checked one thing I thought that it could be. It was not that. And immediately, we evacuated everybody out of the trailer. And, you know, we woke up the littles. Unfortunately, that nap was out the window now, right? Now, we weren't going to get our nap. And um, we evacuated everybody out of the trailer. I did some investigating and come to find out that when I turned the air conditioning off, the smell went away. Now, it was hot. It was probably 85 degrees. And in a trailer, that means your trailer is going to get up to 100 plus degrees if you don't have air conditioning going. And come to find out, I had a friend who worked in HVAC. He came over, we tore open uh, the air conditioner on top of the roof, roof, and we found out one tiny part. I believe it was the start capacitor, those of you that know that kind of thing. One little part had malfunctioned. And because that one little part had malfunctioned, we had a terrible smell, we had a dangerous environment, and frankly, what was designed for our refreshment instead ruined our afternoon, okay, just because of one little part malfunctioning. What we're going to see this morning, and really what I'm burdened to take a look at this week, is the one little part that I, find, that I have found has malfunctioned in many of our homes, the one little part that I have found have, ha, that has malfunctioned in many of our churches, in many of our workplaces, and in many of our lives, and this one little part, if it malfunctions, it produces a noxious smell to our Christianity. It ruins the atmosphere that was designed for the forward movement of the gospel. And frankly, it ruins the refreshment that God wants to come from every Christian. For fellow christians and the lost alike that one part that is missing that one part that has soured that one piece of the puzzle the capacitor that i have found in many of our lives that's no longer working as it ought to is what we see in first corinthians chapter 13. i want you to notice in our text here this morning chapter 1 uh, verse 1 rather of chapter 13 here paul says this he says though i speak "...with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not..." What's the next word? Charity. Charity. Listen, Paul is saying here in this passage that it is possible to surpass all others in the exercise of spiritual abilities, and yet to miss out on love. Did you know that I've met many people that are very spiritually talented? Perhaps they understand the realities of true spirituality. They understand what it means to surrender to God and to depend on His power, perhaps to hand out a gospel tract, perhaps to give a word of witness, perhaps to do some act of service for God. They know how to access God's ability. But I want you to know you can surpass all others in your spiritual abilities and miss out on love. In fact, if you jump down to verse number two, he says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity. Did you know that it's possible to be the most faith-filled person in the room? Did you know that it's possible to know all about the Bible and what God is doing, and what God is going to do. You can even depend upon God for great spiritual movings and miss love. Look at verse number three. He says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not. Charity. And to be honest with you, this verse was a confusing verse for me for many, for many years. Because in my mind, I'd always thought, and, and perhaps this was just a misunderstanding on my part, I'd always thought of love as the sacrificial giving of oneself for another. You ever thought about it that way too? And I'm saying that's not too far afield. And yet, when you look at this verse, he says, Even if I give for the poor... Even if I give my body, sacrifice my own sack of bones for someone else, it's possible for me, even in the process of sacrificing for the good of someone else, to miss love. You know... I want you to know that in our churches many times, especially those that adhere to the Bible, especially those that take this book seriously and they want to obey it and do it right. Listen, there are plenty of places you could go that aren't interested in that. There are plenty of places who have the name of Christianity who frankly are more interested in doing what makes them feel good and doing what makes them happy and and fulfilling their, their likes and dislikes and preferences. But listen, for those of us that are serious about this book, for those of us that want to do right, I want you to know that we can do it all right. But if we miss this one piece... This verse has an assessment for us. It says in verse number one that I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. In other words, we could have sound without substance. Verse number two tells us if we miss love, we are nothing. We could feel important, but actually be nothing. Verse number three says that if we miss love, it profiteth me nothing. You know it's possible to feel successful but to have succeeded in nothing. What I'm trying to tell you here today is that many of us, we may strive to be holy in our lives. We may strive to worship God in a way that's pleasing to Him. We may strive to do right, to believe God, to pray right, to live right, but I want you to know you can have your whole act together, but if you fail on this one point, On this one point of charity, that is love. You're failing. Now, okay, I know. I know that I just said you're failing, and some people don't like to hear that. That's where Sunday school comes in, okay? Remember Sunday school? We talked about the fact that God designed our trials right? To make us so that we have lack in nothing, but if we lack, we can come to God. So just take it in that. I'm not here this morning to beat us down about a lack of love. I'm not here necessarily today to beat us down and say, you're not loving people. That's not the point, because frankly, all of us lack love. If the truth were to be told, and if that wrong little you know, thing that they have at the airport, were to really give us a scan of our spiritual lives, I think every last one of us would find ourselves coming up short in this matter of love. And so that being said, sometimes we can recognize our lack and when we look across the aisle and see everyone else has it, we can think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And because we compare ourselves among ourselves, we lack wisdom, we are fools for doing that. But here's the thing that I want you to get. The number one criterion by which God judges our lives is not our holiness. The number one criterion by which God judges our lives is not our separation from the world. The number one criterion by which God judges our lives is not our effectiveness in ministry. The number one criterion by which God judges our lives is not how many minutes we spend in prayer every day. It's not how many chapters we read each day. It's not how long our skirt is. It's not how many ties we have in our closet. It is, do you love? Listen, I'm not saying that holiness is unimportant. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we, ought to, that we shouldn't seek to obey God in every area he reveals us in that book. What I'm saying is this. You can have it all right. But if you miss this one point, you have missed the most important criterion by which God judges us. In fact, you look at it again. He says, though I speak though I have though I bestow he's saying listen I can have it all right except for this one piece and I get when I get back my grade it's gonna be a big fat sloppy F. okay that being said the Corinthians here in this book. The Corinthians were a people that Paul loved. He loved them very much. He'd invested a lot of time and effort into these people. Frankly, he invested a lot of money into them because he wouldn't let them support him financially. And yet Paul had recognized that these people, though they showed much promise, though they were in a strategic place in the world, though they had an amazing opportunity in front of them, they were all twisted up with the problem that I found plagues every Christian and every church that I've ever come to in my life. They're plagued with the problem of selfishness. You know, sometimes we think about love and we think, what's the opposite of love? And if I were to have you all blurt out what you think the opposite of love, I think you all would probably say something like hate, right? But the fact of the matter is is that love in and of itself is not just the sacrifice. It's the heart that produces that sacrifice. It is not so much an activity as it is a priority. It's not so much something that you purpose to do. It's a perspective that you have. And the perspective that drives your priorities and that drives your actions is that which will make you successful or unsuccessful in God's eyes. And therefore, as we look to this week, as you look to your theme of inside out, we've got to take a look inside. And we've got to get this matter of love straight. Because listen, you can get everything else right, but if you get this one wrong, your life is gonna reek. Your witness will be met with upturned noses, your homes will be full of hurt and carnage, your churches will be at each other's throats and in constant conflict. Well, listen, friends, if we will get this matter of Love correct what before was a battlefield can become a place of constant blessing. He says here in this passage, really, if I could summarize verses 1 through 3, it is that love is the criterion, the benchmark by which God judges us. But as we continue on in the chapter here, Paul begins to give us examples of what love does. i got to stop and pause here because really as we begin to look at these variety of examples, we could view these verbs in a number of different ways. As I used to look at it, you could look at this list of verbs and think, if I'm going to love, here's what i got to do. But if that's your perspective It is not going to work because these verbs that we're going to see are not means to love. These verbs as we're going to see are actually evidences of love. Or if I could put it a different way, in order to love, it's not that you do these things. But if you have love, that these things will happen in your life. I could put it to you this way, that these um, love is the, uh, you could say, the catalyst for the uh, the activities of this verse. I, again, I, one of the reasons why I even point that out, that may seem like I'm splitting hairs, but one of the reasons why I point this out is because as a teenager, I remember I and my youth group in Mapleshade, New Jersey, um, we had a, uh, a challenge that we were given as a youth group, and that challenge was to memorize 1 Corinthians 13. And if we memorize this whole section, we would be taken out for ice cream. That's a pure motive right there, right, okay? And I remember working hard on it. I remember other uh, some of my cousins and other friends there, we worked hard on it. I don't even remember whether I achieved that memorization or not, I don't remember. But I do remember this as I read it and as I memorized it, I m- ended up meditating on it. And I remember as a teenager that honestly didn't know up from down in many ways, spiritually speaking, I thought that if I was going to fulfill God's expectations, I had to do all of those verbs. And if I did all of those verbs, I would be loving and I would be accepted by God. And here's what I ended up experiencing. I would try real hard to, let's say, the first verb, love, charity, suffereth, long. So I'd try real hard to be patient, right? Try real hard to be patient. And I kind of thought, maybe if I work on these one at a time, right, eventually I'll get them all down. You ever thought that way about this list? Okay, I'm going to work on these one point at a time. And I would try real hard to be patient, and then I'd move on to the next one. Okay, I've got to be kind. And you know what I find? As I'm trying real hard to be kind, I would start failing on the patience part. Right, And I would get down to the third one and I'd be like, okay, I got a I not envy. Charity envieth not. And so here I am, I'm focusing on not envying and I'm finding that I'm no longer kind and I'm no longer patient. And I kind of felt like I was playing spiritual whack-a-mole. You ever play that before? You know, go to a carnival or something, and you've got this little thing, and all the holes, and the little mole pops out, and you've got the, the padded bopper, and you're like, okay, patient, boom! Well, in the meantime, the kind is popping up and going down over here, and you're kind of whack, 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 whack trying to go after it, and it's not working. It doesn't work. Listen, if you try to just do these verbs, you will not succeed. But what I want you to see, and and I want you to jump down, we're going to go back and we're going to look at each one of them, but I want you to see at the beginning of verse 8, look at what he says, charity never faileth. That's not just a general statement. That is saying that charity, true love, will not only do all of the things in that passage, it will never fail to do them. And the reason why that is the case is because of the essence of what love actually is. See, I failed to define love really here this morning up to this point. But love is not just the deed of sacrificing oneself for the good of another. Don't get me wrong, love does that. But love in and of itself is a priority. It is a perspective that values the good of others over and above what's good for me. In other words, the very perspective of love looks at someone else and said, you know what, what this guy needs right here is far more important than what I was planning on doing this afternoon. Love looks at your children and recognizes more important than my desire to take a nap this afternoon is for my children to be given what they need. When we look at our workplace, we recognize that the Gospel and and these folks need to hear about Jesus is far more important, because it's good for them, than my continued employment in this place. Love recognizes that the good of your neighbor is more important than the comfort of your home. It recognizes that the good of the person sitting behind you in the pew is more important than your preferences. See, love, properly understood, is going to take your priorities. It's going to take your perspective and turn them on their head because you know how we're naturally wired? To do the opposite of that, right? If we just go through life and do what we feel like, what we're going to end up preferring and prioritizing is what's good for me. We will fight for our rights. We will fight for that which makes my life better. We will claw and scrabble and push and, oh, uh, and, and bowl over anyone or anything that stands in our way. That's why... In our churches, so often, we don't even think about what's good for someone else. We don't even think about what could genuinely help some other people. All we often think about is what I'd like to see, or what I'd like to do, or how I would prefer things to happen. So often, in our workplaces, we don't care about what's good for others. All we care about is our own advancement, our own Our own thing, doing things the way that we want them to be done. In our homes so often, mom and dads can get selfish about their me time, right? I don't know about you, but when I put the kids down to bed, I want them to stay in bed. You know what I'm talking about? Because that's mommy and daddy's opportunity to actually have a little bit of peace and quiet in the house. Anybody with little children, you get it, okay? And you know what can happen oftentimes? Okay, this happened to us a couple of weeks ago. The uh, stomach flu Went through our house, and uh, our little baby girl, Faith Denise, is uh, 20 months, okay? And you know what happens? Uh, The sprinkler goes off in her crib, right? And it ain't water, right? All over the place. And you know what? It's after the kids are put to bed, and it'd be real easy to get frustrated and upset. It'd be real easy to come in and, what are you doing? Come on, the bucket was right here. You know, when the kid has the stomach flu, I, I'm, I'm just saying this because this is real life. This is recent history for us, okay? You know, they make it to the bathroom, but they don't make it to the toilet. You know what I'm saying? Okay? I, I'm sorry, I, I'm used to preaching to teens. Forgive me here, okay? <laughs> you know, they make it most of the way, but you know, when it comes to the stomach flu, most of the way... Does not it's not always good okay you got to get all the way to the bucket or whatever okay anyway in the car is even worse but I'm not even gonna go there okay <clears throat> but it's so easy when there is an opportunity to meet someone's need that inconveniences us they get angry upset impatient you know I there's so many things that I could say here today but really the whole paradigm of our lives is often revolving around us. Revolving around what makes me happy, revolving around what makes me comfortable, and especially when it's something we feel like we deserve or we've earned, when anyone or anything gets in the way of that, we can lash out at it. And I want you to know the lashing out is not the problem. Though it is a problem, don't get me wrong. The lashing out is just a symptom. It's just an evidence the fact that our perspective and our priority is not one of love it's one of selfishness see love prefers the good of the other love prioritizes the good of the other over and above the good of me that's why these verbs can happen Because these verbs are what will happen when the priority is no longer me, it's the other person. These verbs are what will naturally spring out of a heart that truly has love in it. When we look at these verses, these these verbs, in fact, look at it starting in verse number four. It says here, charity suffereth long. I could put it this way, love endures. See, love recognizes that real good may not be accomplished in a moment. Isn't it so easy sometimes when someone isn't keeping up with the pace that you think they ought to keep up with to get upset? Listen, I got kids, I got a five-year-old and a 20-month-year-old. And whenever we're trying to walk somewhere and we're not carrying the 20-month-old, We don't get there as fast, you know what I'm saying? And it's just so easy when somebody's not keeping up with the pace we want them to to get upset. Or how about on the road, right? Traffic, you know, that person who's driving 10 miles under the speed limit in a one lane road, and you got somewhere to be, okay? You know, it's so funny, we forget the fact that our vehicles are, are surrounded by glass, right? And it'd be so easy for us, I got practice at that, okay? I've been there. I've done that, okay? But we get, I remember one time, this is so many years ago. You remember Leedy Wallacei, right? Um, I was uh, coming out of our apartment uh, in, in the Milwaukee area, and I remember somebody did something really, really dumb. I don't even remember what it was, but I remember my response. I, okay, I'm just being transparent with you, okay? I blew up in my car, okay? Literally... I pounded on the steering wheel. I went, raw. I think I even cried. Okay, I know. I'm I'm exposing myself for the real me here. I'm sure you've never, ever done that, but you felt like it. You felt like it, okay? I blew up in my car, and you know, you assume nobody saw. Driving down the road, my cell phone rang, and it was my friend, Leedy Walasai, from church. He said, hey, Bobby! How you doing, Bobby? I saw that, Bobby! And I thought, oh... Busted. You know what? It was revealed to me and to all who saw it. That I did not have love in my heart. And you know what? That's a problem. You know, oftentimes we hear stories like that and we think, ha ha ha, we've all been there. Well, guess what? We all get a big fat F. Because and that, that segment, that moment, that that anecdote reveals a problem in me as it reveals a problem in you you see had i prioritized the good of that other person over and above myself i would not have blown up like that and neither would you because here's the thing love endures love recognizes listen good doesn't just happen in a moment listen it's not that if i'm going to love i'm going to be patient it's that if i really do have that love i will be patient but mark my words if you're selfish you won't be patient if you're selfish you're going to constantly be on your kids about doing it faster you're going to be constantly pushing and prodding and just a terrible person to be around love endures he says not only does charity suffer long it also says and is kind um, you could say it this way love endows um, kindness i found this definition of the word kindness kindness adds worth and value to someone else through your actions. Has anybody ever gone out of their way to do a kind deed for you? Maybe it's a note of encouragement or a gift. You know what happens in that moment? What you feel when someone does that is you feel like they value you enough to somehow Uh, uh, endow your life with this word of encouragement or this gift of some sort. And you know what? If it makes you feel real good, guess what? That's what love does. Love recognizes that other people need to be invested in. See, it adds worth and value to someone else through your actions. See, the perspective of love recognizes the fact that I'm not here for me. I'm here to add value to others by having their best interests in mind. He goes on and he says, charity envieth not. See, love does not begrudge. Love does not begrudge. See, if I focus on myself, of course I'm going to be envious. When somebody else gets the promotion, when somebody else gets the new device, when somebody else gets an upgrade on their car, I'm going to look at them and think, man, why did they get that and I have to settle for this nasty old beater of a car? Why is it that they are able to advance like that, but I'm not able to advance like that? It's so easy for us to feel sorry for ourselves and begrudge good things that happen to other people if I'm focused on myself. But if I'm focused on the good of others, I'll be glad when good things happen to other people. See, love envieth not. It also says charity vaunteth not itself. Love does not brag. Have you ever been around somebody who all, they do, all they do is talk about their accomplishments and their, their pros and you know, the good things that they've done in their life. you ever been around somebody like that? I have. In fact, I've been somebody like that before. Have you? Okay. One of the things I train my team members, and he hasn't had the training yet, so forgive me if he doesn't do it. Okay. One of the things I train my team members about is if you're ever in a conversation with somebody, don't get caught talking about yourself the whole time. Ask questions of other people. Find out about other people. But I will tell you what, you can feel bound in a conversation if you don't want to look like the braggadocious person that's just talking about oneself. And you can find yourself even in the process of asking someone else about themselves to be constantly thinking about how you're going to add in something about you but not make it look like you're talking about yourself the whole time, okay? We've all been there. But here's the thing, love, love actually cares. Love doesn't ask because it doesn't want to look selfish. Love asks because it actually cares about the other person. Listen, all these things, you can fake them. But you're going to be lousy at it. <laughs> I'm lousy at it, okay? So he says here, uh, it, it, it vaunteth not itself. It's not constantly pushing itself forward for other people to praise them. Uh, he says here is not puffed up. Okay, not only does love not begrudge or brag, it also doesn't balloon. (laughs) What do I mean by that? We like to give a far better impression of what we are than is true. When we try to image ourselves in a fake way, we're bringing attention to ourselves. You know what? It doesn't help anybody to lie about who you really are. You know, one of the things that I've found some of the most helpful preachers to me ever have been preachers who've been willing to be transparent in the pulpit. Have you ever heard a preacher... That has done nothing wrong? I I mean, they've all done something wrong, but by the way they talk about themselves, they've never done anything wrong. You know, they stand up and listen, I'm all for telling stories of the things that God has done to give glory to him. But there are some preachers that by the way that they communicate, there are some people for that matter, uh, not even just preachers, who by the way they communicate, they've never done anything wrong. And they're, pretty much what they're doing is all day long, and listen, we do this too, right? You encounter a new person, so you want to give a good first impression. So what we do is we go, (laughs) Right? About ourselves. And we kind of inflate ourselves up to be this great man or woman of God. And this image that we are imaging is false. See, all we are concerned about is ourselves when we do that. You know, I have found that when people are real, it gives me hope. When people are genuine, it shows, you know what can happen when, when, you, when there's somebody that seems like they've never done anything wrong, the, the rest of us that have can look at them and think, there's no way that I could ever be like that. And so there's this great gulf fixed between where we're at and where they, where they perceive, they, they image themselves that they are. And we think that we cannot cross to them, right? <laughs> but when, I remember the first time that I, um, at, our, at my home church, uh, again, a lot of the parents, you know, they're doing a lot with their kids and everybody's playing the violin and, you know, they all seem to have everything under control. Um, there was this one staff wife that my wife overheard talking about how her child was an absolute terror and this was happening and that was happening and the whole thing seemed to fall apart. And you don't want to rejoice in other people's calamities, but we thought, praise God, we're not the only ones. But when we... Oh, our home has no problems. Oh, I've never said a negative word to my wife ever. Oh, you know what? I, I, I don't struggle with my devotions you mean you do oh you know what i've never even been tempted to look at that or i've never even had the desire to skip out on church one day or you know what i always feel like going out soul winning you don't are you even saved listen i have found that the transparency from the pulpit and amongst believers this 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 desire this willingness to be vulnerable is one of the most helpful things that I can do for other people many times. I'm not saying letting all your dirty laundry hang out and even priding yourself on the bad things that you've been through. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about being real. You know, here's where I was. Okay, I'm just going to be perfectly honest with you. Over the weekend, I wasn't feeling super spiritual. I'm talking, I'm being real right now. And even this morning, as I was coming into this morning, I I got up at 5 this morning, and I was just praying and saying, God, I don't feel it. I'm coming in to preach to these folks, and uh, I, I know what I'm supposed to preach here this week, but I'll be perfectly honest with you, I, in my heart, it's a lot colder than I think it ought to be right now. And I found myself peeking ahead at my notes, okay, looking at my final sermon for the week and actually having to apply that to myself. And I got a little preaching, to here this morning by the Holy Spirit of God. And in my heart, God warmed me. And I'm so thankful that he did. And I say that not so much to whatever. I'm just saying that to tell you I'm made out of the same stuff you are. But when we puff ourselves up to be some Greek God statue that we really aren't, you're not helping anybody but yourself. And that just shows the fact that you ain't got love. It's all about you. It's all about you. Um, He says, is not puffed up. Verse 5, doth not behave itself unseemly. I was looking for another B, and I'm sorry, love doesn't belch. <laughs> okay? And I'm serious about this, okay? You know what? You know, some folks, what they try to do is they try to make themselves up to be this perfect, impeccable specimen of a Christian. Other people, you know what they do? Instead of doing that, they're the funny guy. Right? And they say, you know, they say these off-the-wall comments and they're a constant jokester. Listen, all of us are wired differently. Some of us are more on the humorous side of the spectrum than other people. But you know what? Some people hide behind that. And they'll say outlandish things so that people will think that they're a constant party. You know, oftentimes... You know, you look at Robin Williams, right? The famous actor, funny guy. He was a guy that always seemed like he was constantly happy, always had a joke on the tip of his tongue, some impression to give of some famous person, and he hangs himself in his apartment. You know what? All that stuff was a mask. And so often what we can do is in order to push ourselves forward and make other people think something of us, We behave unseemly. And by that I mean, you know, maybe you're just the funny guy. That's kind of the tame side of the spectrum. Maybe you're the guy to constantly throw out the dirty joke. You're the person that constantly maybe twist it a little bit to make it seem just a little bit inappropriate. You can take even the words of Scripture or even what preachers have said and kind of twist them to give some kind of double entendre meaning to it. And you're doing it not for the good of others, no. Why do we even do that? so people will think better of us. That kind of stuff doesn't help anybody. doesn't help anybody at all. All it does is draws attention to us, and therein is the problem. That's not love. That's selfishness. As we go on here, he says, seeketh not her own. You know, this this really, um, you could say love doesn't demand Um, But uh, one commentator that I found found said it this way, love is not preoccupied with the interests of the self, which perhaps best captures the essence of the activity of agape, the, the word for love, as Paul uses it. In other words, love is not just the occasional or even the regular sacrifice of oneself for another, but involves the deepest motivations in the daily decisions of life. Listen, I don't in any way want to diminish a single thing. I know many of you went you know, I've gone on missions trips. Many of you just got back. You know, there's a certain sense in which it's not easy, but it's easy to dedicate two weeks. Right? For the good of someone in a country you've never been to in a far off land. And uh, listen, I'm not in any way diminishing. It, it takes time, money, and it was hard work. And so please don't misunderstand me. I'm, uh, but you know what? Any one of us can go on a missions trip, and we ought to. And we ought to give our lives. But God doesn't just want us to spend two weeks and say, check. I'm done loving for the year. I'm done giving my life and, and preferring the good of other people. Listen, many of you sacrificed much to go on that trip. Uh, y- y- listen, you put the needs of others ahead of your own and that is awesome. Keep it up now that you're back. See, love does not put into the focus of preference me. Um, <clears throat> you know, l- l- let's look at the next, the next verb here. Love, it says, is not easily provoked. This one I've seen in many different ways, in many different shades, and in many different forms. Um, I I actually, I'm just going to read more of a lengthy quote here, but I found this to be so helpful in understanding what this is talking about. The English word peak, P-I-Q-U-E, combines the same range of nuance as this word is not easily provoked here. Something between irritation and anger, which takes offense because one's self-regard has been dented. Wounded or punctured by some sharp point. Love, Paul urges, does not become exasperated into pique, partly because patience delays exasperation and partly because lack of self-interest diverts a sense of self-importance away from reacting on the grounds of wounded pride. It is not embittered by injuries, whether real or supposed. Have you ever been in a conversation and maybe there's some aspect to your life that you're super proud of or something and maybe somebody throws out a question or says something that dents it? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I've got a a whole birth family that I'm just starting to meet. I met my birth mom a couple of years ago. It's really cool. And uh, her brother has a I'm forgive me, I'm probably going to get the wrong year, I don't remember, it's like a 1968 supercar of some sort, okay, really beautiful car. He put a lot of work into reconditioning it, and you know, we took a look at it, you know, he pulled the cover off in his garage just a couple weeks ago, and we all wooed and odd over this thing. He opened it up, beautiful reupholstered leather seats, I mean, just gorgeous, pristine, not a spot or dent in the whole thing, and I got kids with heavy winter coats and zippers while around you know what I'm talking about so like my kids are kind of walking up oh that's really cool I mean they didn't quite do that but I'm like whoa I'm thinking I just met this guy okay not too long ago and I don't want to start off my relationship with an uncle that I've just met here at 37 years of age and to have us scrape his muscle car I don't know what he'd do But you know, so often in our lives, when somebody comes up and dents our pride, you know exactly what you do because you do it all the time. Your wife knows exactly what you do because she's seen you do it all the time. You know, I've talked to people. I have people in mind right now that, you know, you got to mind your P's and Q's about them, because if you say anything that, puts, that seems to put their family down, it's like they come out like, What are you saying? Are you against me and my family? Like, dude, I didn't even mean that. Lay off. But we've all been there and done that. You know, this, do you see, do you not see how this whole matter of am I preferring the good of someone else, or am I all about me? dictates how we respond to other people so love doesn't dent love also uh, the next the next verse here it says thinketh no evil and if you've ever studied up on that you know one of the ways that many people reflect the idea of those words of that verb is love doesn't keep score see love doesn't keep receipts or chalk things up to evil intentions You know how this goes, you know, the husband who's been with his wife for, you know, what, 30 years or 20 years or whatever, you know, she says something and maybe the husband say, why'd you say that? I know why you said that. That's the 356th time you've said that. I've got a little book where I've checked off every time you've said that. Okay. Actually, it's not normally the husbands that do that. It's the wives. Sorry, ladies. Okay. They keep score. You know, that's the 13th time you've left the seat up this month how did you know it was 13 well she kept track love doesn't keep score <laughs> well you can keep track of other people being single, single friends maybe that's the neighbor that keeps thumping in the apartment building right maybe it's that politician that just keeps at it right and is constantly doing this maybe it's the neighbor that just won't shut their dog up forgive me Okay, you're trying to take a nap, it's your day off, and yap, 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 yap. yap. You feel like going, no more yapping, right? But listen, we do, listen, love is not concerned about keeping track of someone else's failure so you can put it in their face when you get a chance. That's not love. That's self, that's selfishness. See, this, uh, this attitude can be so focused on self that you're inventing things people are doing against you. It's not even just that you keep track of what happened, but you can project ahead at what you think they're going to do. You know, the couple that know the, knows, them, knows each other so well, and they, you know, the other person doesn't even say it, and you pipe up with, don't you say what I think you're going to say, and you're right. Right? <laughs> but sometimes you're wrong anyway moving on Um, uh, love doesn't delight in sin he says rejoiceth not in iniquity whether the committing of it or the discovery or rebuke of it in others did you know that sometimes there are some people that can't wait to catch somebody sinning you know some people the whole reason why they're on social media is to police the misdeeds of others And it's like they'll just jump onto the comment section and and just fill them full of lead, so to speak, with their keys of what they did and how it was wrong and all these different things. Listen, love is not being a watchdog of fundamentalism to find everything done wrong in everybody else's churches. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have discernment, and I'm not saying we shouldn't protect our folks from that, which is genuinely wrong. But there are some people, their whole life mission, it seems, is to shoot at other Christians for what they've done wrong. And they get a perverse thrill out of it. See, love doesn't do that. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity. Listen, uh, love does not get a thrill out of rebuking wrongdoing, but rather gains joy from, as one commentator said, integrity and reality. Next, here in verse 7, he says, Beareth all things, believeth. All things hopeth all things endureth all things i have summarized all of those by saying this love doesn't blacklist you know what I mean by that you ever had somebody in your life that done wrong so many times you just wrote them off you ever met somebody maybe they did something that so crosses your sense of morals that so offends your sense of justice that you will never accept them again they've gotten in your little black book okay and they they ain't never getting out listen i find in certain settings Whether this is a Bible college, whether this is in a church, whether this is in a family, there are some people that because of what they've done or what they've said, they've been written off by the entire family, school, church, movement, you name it. And this person is never going to get in someone else's good graces again. And no matter how hard they try and no matter how much they work at it, they're always tainted by the failures of their past in the eyes of those that perceive themselves to be the authority. And there are times that individuals can never escape their past because people around them will never let them. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't do that. See, love, it says, beareth all things. It puts up with people. It believeth all things. If someone wants to get right, they believe them. It hopeth all things. It always has expectation of positive change for the future. It endureth all things. It continues to put up with them until the day of glory Listen, Jesus never wrote you off. Aren't you glad for that? Jesus never put you on a blacklist. Aren't you glad for that? Listen, how many times have you missed reading your Bible this last year and Jesus didn't write you off? How many times have you looked at that garbage on the internet and Jesus didn't write you off? How many times have you blown up at your spouse or your kids and Jesus didn't write you off? I don't know about you. I'm thankful for the love of God and that it never fails. See, he says here, the charity, as I mentioned earlier, never fail if love does not deviate. If you just try to do these things, you might be able to for a short time, one or two of them, but only for a short time. But see, the only way to do these things consistently is to have true love, supernatural love, alien to you love. See, our replication of this kind of love is a cheap Chinese knockoff it's just not as good kind of like an android phone to apple but i won't get into that all right sorry (laughs) sorry i just lost half the crowd forget about it i'm sorry i'm biased okay no it's a cheap chinese knockoff is what i'm talking about here you try your best to love in your own strength in your own power in your own way and it will not work and it will fail to fulfill what these verbs are talking about because these verbs are not intended to be obeyed. These verbs are evidences of whether the divine love of God is operating in your heart. See, if that love is truly present, if that love is truly operating, if that love is truly being accessed, this is what your life will be look like it's not that we won't fail it's not that we won't have our moments of struggle but here's the thing if the love is there if that perspective of preferring the good of another over and above my own good is there if that's your priority just out of logic this is what's going to happen listen love is important so important in fact that one could have everything but love and truly have nothing and be nothing Love is so concerned in its deepest motivations about others rather than self that it bears up under incredible pressure and always responds in kindness. It never boils or brags because it's not about self. Its deepest motivation is for the other because its core motivation is for another. When self is injured, it doesn't react in anger and it refuses to account ill will to the other person. I don't have time to go through the rest of this passage, but I will mention this. When you jump down to verse number 13, he says, listen, charity never fails. There are plenty of things in our lives and in our churches that are temporary means to the ultimate good. And he says, now abide of these three, faith, hope, charity. But the greatest of these is charity. Chapter 14, verse one, follow after charity. There's much that we can pursue with our life and our time and our spiritual energy. And Paul here is challenging us. Listen, he's not diminishing the other things, but saying there's one that is the most important. You miss this one thing, and you got nothing. 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 Your life will stink, you'll repel the lost, and you will injure the saved. Listen, friends here, this message has been a bit of a diagnostic to introduce the content that we're going to be covering over the next several messages, but I want you to know over the next, I believe, three messages, tonight, Monday night, and Tuesday night, I'm going to be convincing us further of our selfishness. There are, just like we saw what love does, there are some things that selfishness does also, okay? And we're going to be taking a look really to take the plow and to let it dig into the soil here today. Because to be perfectly honest with you, if you are not convinced of the problem, you will not value the solution. And so we're going to be taking that plow and we're going to be digging in starting tonight and really taking a good hard look, really letting God with his airport scanner get down to the business of what we truly are and where we're truly at. Because I don't know about you. I don't want an F on God's test. I don't know about you. I want to pass. I want to thrive. I want to be all that God wants me to be. And so therefore, I want to challenge you here this morning, maybe perhaps as we've been speaking, as I've been speaking here this morning, God has put his finger on a few specific areas of selfishness. I want to challenge you the answer isn't to try harder. The answer is to get true biblical love. And throughout this week, we're going to be developing the problem, but I promise you by Wednesday night, we will clearly spend time explaining in practical and theologically accurate terms how you and I can have The supernatural love of God that never fails beating in our chest. Does that interest you? I hope it does. What we're going to do here at this time, if we could all stand here, I want to have an invitation here. Somebody can maybe head to the piano, but don't begin playing until I instruct you to do so. What I want to do here this morning is this. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And if God has put his finger on an area of selfishness in your heart, remember Sunday school? Don't run from God. Don't, in insecurity, put a a leaf over your lack, okay? Don't try to cover it up and pretend like it's not there. But instead, come to God. If God has put his finger on your, an area of selfishness in your heart in just a moment, not yet, but in just a moment when the piano plays, I want to challenge you, whether you sit in your pew or come forward to the front, I want to challenge you to take a knee or sit down before the Lord, at least kneel in your heart and say, God, I have seen my lack. And you said that if any man lack, let him come unto God which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. He's not going to rebuke you for coming to him with your lack of love and the promises and it shall be given him. So as God has worked on your heart, as the piano plays, you do business with God. Thank you for listening to this podcast to learn more about grace Baptist or how to have eternal life. Visit gracekettering.org. and remember, You are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.